Good morning, church. My name is Cassie Blessing, and I am a part of Redeemer's Children's Ministry. This morning, I will be reading from Micah 1 and 2. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because of uncleanness that destroys with the grievous destruction. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, I am so grateful to be the pastor here. I'm so grateful to serve um, with these volunteers that we have, um, to work alongside Brian and the rest of our staff and and our elders. Um, And I want to let you know that as I prepare messages and and when when Brian preaches, as we prepare messages, as we're praying through these scriptures, we're praying for you. We get to stand up here and see your faces and and, um, watch your responses to our sermons. And so um, we can't help but as we're praying through our message, that we just see you and pray for you and our heart wells up with gratitude for the job we get to have because it's a privilege. There's nothing I did to get me here. Uh, it's, it's all been by the grace of God that he has given me um, the, the ability to even write a sermon and then to give it without being uh, so nervous that I just collapse and faint. But I really um, try to reflect on that privilege on a weekly basis. Uh, and, and it really is sinking into my heart this morning. And so I want to share with you um, just what I've seen over the last few weeks. I want you to know, church, the Spirit of God is at work within you. He is. I know it. Um, because one of the ways that, that we can see this, one of the fruits that's born, um, and God gives us the ways to measure faithfulness and fruitfulness Uh, in Scripture. One of those is love for God and love for one another. And I have to say, over the last few weeks, I have seen in this church a love for God that pours out into a love for one another. Because we've had many people, and I've heard many stories just of tragedies, of, of crisis, of people within our church suffering. And you've been there. You rush to their door with a meal. You hold their hand and you hug them when they cry. You're the first person getting a text. Maybe the second if it's a college student and they have to text their parents first. But I have seen 
the people in our church suffering comforted by the love of Christ in you. But I've also seen the wins of the people here celebrated. When we have something to rejoice in, when, when somebody we've been praying for to be pregnant is finally pregnant, when a baby is born, that's right, yes. When we pray together for our loved ones and, and our neighbors who don't know Jesus, and then we hear stories of God planting more seeds and watering the soil, we rejoice together. We have entire small groups celebrating what feel like small, ordinary things together. Guys, this is the love of God poured out into the love of one another. And it's this that Jesus says will proclaim the gospel to the whole world. So thank you. And on behalf of one another, thank you. I hope that you don't leave this building without feeling just encouraged by the Spirit at work within you. Because I've seen it. He's alive and he's at work. And I'm so grateful for that. Well, if you couldn't tell already, I've got a little sinus something, sore throat stuff going on. So I've got my throat coat tea right here. Um, I'm going to try to just work through this message because I don't know how long my voice is going to hold up. But also we've got a kids ministry lunch. If you're a part of that, we've got that right after service. And so because we have two entire chapters of Micah to work through, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry real quick through our outline. So if we can, um, you guys can look at this. If you want to write that down, that's, uh, that would be great. First, we're going to understand covenant. And we have to understand covenant because um, Micah was written to a people who had broken a covenant. We're going to understand covenant. Um, and then we're going to, the second thing we're going to work through is what is Micah saying to his audience? Then we're going to figure out how are we like Micah's audience, and we're going to answer the question then, what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? So what is Micah saying to ancient Israel? How are we like ancient Israel? And therefore, what is the Holy Spirit then saying to us? And then we're going to take communion together. It's just easy as that, isn't it? Um. Covenant is one of those words, if it's in the category of words that I use, but I probably shouldn't because I don't fully understand what it means. So um, I've had to do some work because of my job. I have to use the word covenant, don't I? Like if I'm going to marry people, I have to use the word covenant. If I'm going to preach, I have to use that word. So I have to do some work to figure out what that means. Um, But there's other words like this, like sympathy and empathy I don't often use those words, but when I do, I don't ever know if I'm using the right one. Anybody else? Um, yeah, I see a lot of like violent head nods. Um, somebody help me figure that out later, and I'll probably forget. Um, cathartic? Cathartic? It, I hate it. I'm not, af- I, well, I am afraid of, of a few things. Um, Misusing the word cathartic is on the list of the things that I'm afraid of, so I just don't use it. Um, you can, if a lot of people looking at me like, really, this guy? Uh, just come tell me later. Write it down in your notes, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, Brian. Again, I, I, so, yeah. Uh, I got called out for calling Brian out for his English major. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do that again. 
Uh, but the word covenant, this is one of those words that, that we've got to work to understand. Um, because while we use it and we think we know what it means, if somebody asked you, define covenant, or I guess demanded of you, define covenant, um, you probably could spit something out that you may not be super confident in if you're able to spit something out. Uh, but, but could you illustrate it? Could you express it in such a way that the person demanding that definition from you could receive it and then go and tell somebody else? So we're going to understand covenant right now. A covenant, a simple definition, is a promise that's made between a higher authority and a lesser party. If, if it's made between two people on the same plane, it's not a covenant. A covenant is something made between a higher authority and a lesser party. So when a couple gets married, this couple is making not a covenant with one another. They're making a covenant with God. Think about the Ten Commandments, right? This is one of the covenants that we see in the Bible. It's, it's one that we're going to um, be able to call back to in Micah because Israel had broken multiple um, commandments within the Ten Commandments. But you can find, if you want to write down in your notes, Exodus 19 through 24 is this, this um, record of the Ten Commandments and all of the laws surrounding those and then Israel and how they respond to the Ten Commandments. Well, the purpose of this covenant was for God to say, okay, Israel, I need you to commit to these things so that as you live within the world, you will tell the world that I am a good God. That the way that you love me through the first five commandments and the way that you love one another through the second five commandments, that this is actually how I'm spreading my kingdom through the world. So there's a purpose within this concept of covenant. And the, the purpose of a covenant is not just to obey. It's not just to keep up your end of the bargain, right? So the lesser party has these commitments, this, this purpose that the higher authority is asking them to fulfill. But the, the higher authority doesn't make commitments. The higher authority makes promises. This is why this is so important. Because when the lesser party inevitably breaks the covenant, the higher authority doesn't dissolve the covenant. It doesn't just ruin the agreement. That's why it's between a higher authority and a lesser, a lesser party. It, we should expect that the lesser party is going to break this, but it's all on the higher authority to maintain the promises. And so in the Ten Commandments, God said, here's these, these ways to live, to love me and love one another so that the world will know who I am. And, and God said, I promise to bless you in huge ways if you keep these commands. But if you don't, I promise to correct you and redirect you. So what we see in all of the prophets, not just Micah, all of the prophets in the Old Testament is God crying out to his people, hey, listen, you've broken the covenant. You have not lived up to your commitment to me. I need you to turn. I need you to stop sinning. I need you to remember the promise that I made to you. 
I still want to bless you. Through the voice of every prophet in Scripture, God cries out, I still want to bless you. Even while Israel ignored God, even while they rejected and killed his prophets, God's mercy endures through their sin and calls out, I still want to bless you. Because this is the character of God. This is who he is. The covenant not only was made for the people, for Israel to proclaim who God is, but it was an opportunity for God to show who he really is. He still wants to bless us, even though there's nothing we deserve more than death. This is the covenant. And so I hope that we're, we're gaining some ground on understanding covenant. Maybe sympathy and empathy is for another sermon, another time. Maybe Brian can teach a class on that. But I want to move on to that next, that question, that first question. What is Micah saying? So we know what all the prophets say, right? They're calling out to God's people. Hey, turn from your sin. God still wants to bless you. What is Micah specifically saying to this original audience, 8th century B.C.? Israel 3,000 years ago. What is Micah saying? Um, Micah 1, in short, Micah 1 says, God's coming to judge you, the God of all creation. That's why it starts out, here all you people. God, God is making his way around the globe and all the mountains will melt. God is coming to judge you. He surveyed his kingdom, his creation, and you have been found to have broken the covenant. You've refused to repent. Your sins are many. And you can bet that God will keep his promise. God will keep his end of the covenant to correct and redirect. Micah 1, 2 through 5 this portion of Micah 1 that Cassie read, it says, Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of earth. The high places are the places where people worshiped. He will tread upon the high places of earth, And the mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the sin of the house of Israel that Micah is referencing um, this is, this is the, the specific indictment against how Israel has broken the covenant. And it's idolatry. The very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. In Exodus 20, this very first commandment is that not only um, should we not worship other gods, but we shouldn't make specifically carved images of them. That means we make this image that we then treat as it were this God. 
Now, there were spiritual beings who had rebelled against God Almighty and had posed to humanity as gods, powerful gods who could save them, who could provide for them, who could meet their needs. And God tells Israel specifically, hey, that's a lie. I'm the only God that can save you and provide for you. They will kill you. This is why Israel's first commandment was to reject all the other gods, little g, and to worship the only true God Almighty, Yahweh, capital G God. But look at Micah 1.7, the pronouncement of Israel's sin. All her carved images will be beaten into pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols I will lay waste. Israel was worshiping other lesser wicked gods. Now remember the purpose of the covenant. Why is this such a big deal? What is Israel's goal in the covenant? What's the purpose? It's to proclaim how good God is, right? Now, if they're worshiping other gods, then they're proclaiming that other gods are just as good. And at the same time, that God Almighty is a lesser God and he's just as brutal and wicked and evil Their lives, so then they break another of the commandments. They're, they're carrying the name and the image and the identity of God in vain. Their lives told lies about who God is. Because they proclaimed to worship God Almighty while they also worshiped other lesser gods. And so God had to step in and say, no, 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 they've got it wrong. That's not who I am. This is who I am. In chapter 2 of Micah, what Micah is saying to the original audience, chapter 2 of Micah shows us that it's not just idolatry that's sin, but that the sin of idolatry multiplies into more sin. Can we just pause for a second? And let it sink in to our minds that sin multiplies sin. Always. This is not a 3,000-year-old fact that, that is just true for Israel in the book of Micah. It's today. Sin multiplies sin. But it has an end. It can only go so far. And the end of sin is death. And it will spiral its way to death. And it will leave everything destroyed behind it. This is how we are just like Israel. So that next question, so we think about what is Micah saying to his original audience? And how are we like that original audience? Um, we don't, maybe, I don't think we do, worship carved images, right? Um, iPhones, maybe. We, we have a weird relationship with our phones. They're like part of our body now. Um, but I would say even that's not necessarily the, the kind of idolatry that's being talked about here. Uh, but... As 
humanity has grown, and as we've progressed with our, our technology and we've learned our lessons about things, I think also the enemy, the, the, the prince of darkness, the, the, the prince of the power of the air, who is, does a really good job of fooling us into thinking that some things that we do are not sin, and then that multiplies into pretty egregious things. What I think is that what, how we are like Israel is that when they're worshiping other gods, what are they trying to get? Something for themselves. They're trying to fill this void that their worship of God, because it was false worship, was not filling. So they need protection, so they sacrifice their kids on the altar of Molech. They need um, a harvest. They need food, so they sacrifice a portion of their livestock on the altar of Baal. And they continue and continue to do this so that hopefully they might get something. Does that not sound like us? Guys, the idolatry that we have fallen into, that we are so prone to fall into, especially in America, but I think it's a global thing, is the worship of self. That all we got to do is fulfill our own needs in order to be happy. But let me tell you something. You don't even know what you need. How can you know? We're deluded. We've been, we've been told that we have needs that aren't really needs, they're wants. And then we hurt other people to get those things. We use other people and we destroy God's creation in order to try to fill up what is lacking in us. This is the idolatry of the first commandment that we make ourselves gods before God Almighty. Israel's worship was a pursuit of the self. Um, The reason that idol worship, remember, the reason that idol worship is so bad is because it tells lies about who God is. Now, if we proclaim to be Christians and we still are pursuing the fulfillment of self, what kind of lies are we telling about the gospel that we claim to believe and preach? That it's not enough. It's weak, it's dilute. We're telling lies about what Jesus actually did. And remember, sin multiplies sin. And so self-worship, self-idolatry isn't only a personal sin. The very nature of sin as it multiplies is that it fractures relationships. It fractures even our own ability to see clearly. What the Holy Spirit is saying today through Micah is that God made a way for this to not be the end of our story. Because Micah 2, verses 12 and 13 are in your Bibles, people. 
there is hope. The promise that God made in the covenants, there's four Old Testament covenants, and the promises that he made is that one day he's going to send one like himself in order to fulfill the promise, in order to fulfill the covenant and put an end to all of this breaking the commandments, of of breaking our commitments. He's going to deal with it. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through Micah 1 and 2, is that God's mercy perseveres through our sin. So all all of this self-worship that we're so prone to that's in us that we cannot avoid and we cannot deal with it ourselves. Don't try to like spiritually discipline your way into or out of, sorry, self-worship. You can't do it. You need Jesus because that's what he's done. God's mercy in Jesus perseveres through our sin. Let's read Micah 2, 12 through 13. I will surely assemble all of you. So the promise of their correction and redirection was that they'd be sent out of the kingdom. They would be sent into exile, dispersed through the Gentile nations. But then the promise in verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you. I'll bring you back into my place of worship. Oh, Jacob, I will gather the remnant of Israel. That word remnant is an incredibly important word. Do you know what a remnant is? Yeah, it's just a a tiny fragment of what used to be. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Now here it is. He who opens the breach, who opens the gate. You remember Jesus said something about this? I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd. We'll get there in a second. He who opens the breach goes up before them They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. This is a big deal. Because what God had had done in correcting and redirecting Israel to preserve the promise was that he sent them out. He he, um, exiled them, cast them out of the promised land. And then he said, I'm going to bring you back, and then your king is going to lead you out. Why would the king lead them out? To go into all the world. And let me just show you, because we're prone to believe that um, our sin actually perseveres beyond God's mercy. We're prone to believe that our sin pulls us away from God, that, that we have to earn our way back into God, God's good graces. And that's not true. Though Israel was exiled, God's presence was with them all along. This is why he could reassemble them back into the place of worship. And so when we inevitably worship at the altar of self, remember God is still with you. 
if your hope is in Jesus, you have not lost any holiness. That's how big the cross is. That's that's how incredible Jesus' death and resurrection is. That your sin cannot persevere past God's mercy. It's the other way around. John 10, 14 through 16, Jesus connects himself to Micah 2, the promise of Micah 2, to restore all Israel and to welcome all the rest of humanity into the promise of God's perfect covenant that's fulfilled in Jesus. Let's read John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. See this union, this this unity of of not just the Holy Trinity, the Godhead, but of, of God and his people. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he's talking to Jews when he's making this proclamation. Then he says, and guys, I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I'm going to bring them along too. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The Holy Spirit has to say this from the text to us. This isn't just a message to ancient Israel. It's not like we're just observing, oh, that's pretty cool. God made a remnant. The Holy Spirit has something to say to us. And here's what it is. Because we can't keep the covenant, because we can't clean ourselves up, because our sin multiplies sin, and because God's love and mercy perseveres through our sin, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to step into the middle to fill this gap of obedience that we couldn't fill. Jesus came to accomplish in the covenant what we had no hope of accomplishing. Jesus is the shepherd king from Micah 2. Two outrageously opposing images, a shepherd and a king, this ordinary royal, this intimate but authoritative person. Our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father and, and our Creator is completely restored and reunited in Jesus. He's the one that, that brings us out of our sin and into the pasture of God's mercy and of God's love. Our sins are many, but God's mercy to us in Jesus is so much more. Ephesians 1.3 says that God the Father gives us every spiritual blessing when he gives us Jesus. Can you imagine that? No. But can you try to imagine that? Every spiritual blessing in Jesus Here's what this means. In the same way that our sin multiplies sin, God's love multiplies love. 
God's mercy multiplies mercy. And God's love and God's mercy go way beyond our sin. And so practically, what, what we get in Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ, um, I don't know all of them because I don't have um, all of them in my inheritance yet. But there's three that I want to point out because we don't have time to cover even all the ones that, that we can gather from Scripture. Three that I want to point out that actually have implications for the way that we live, the way that we love God and love one another. First, what Jesus offers to us is compassion. He offers us compassion. In his perfect life, Jesus endured every temptation to its fullest extent. C.S. Lewis gives this picture of, of if sin were a wind and we tried to persevere through the wind, it would blow us right over. But Jesus persevered for so long and so deeply through the wind that he went until the wind stopped. Jesus endured every temptation. He knows the trouble and the trial that we experience. He knows. He knows what it would have felt like had you waited just a little bit longer and been tempted just a little bit more. He knows. He knows more about temptation than you do. And he's compassionate to you. So we don't have to hide in our shame because he knows. We're free to confess. We're free to just admit that we break God's covenant. We're free to trust that Jesus fulfills the covenant for us. But here's also an implication, not just between our relationship with us and God, but our relationship with one another. It frees us up to be humble enough to offer one another compassion. Receiving compassion from Christ humbles us so that we can offer our brothers and sisters compassion because guess what? We know. And you sinned against me? I know what that's like. I'm going to forgive you. Because the second thing Jesus offers us is forgiveness. In Jesus' perfect life, he offers us compassion. But in his death, he offers us forgiveness. He actually deals with the guilt of our sin. A lot of times when, when we... Um, sin against God, we feel so weighed down by guilt. This is why we say it separates us. Well, I feel so separated. Well, that's because you're guilty. And guilt is not a bad feeling. But what are you going to do with that guilt? You can either work to, to come up above it and to try to perform your way out of it and make yourself feel better. better. That's self-medicating with performance. And guess where you're going to end up next time? Farther down in the well of guilt. Or you can receive the gospel that Jesus' death makes you guilt-free. I know it's wild, but it's true. He deals with the guilt of our sin. So we're free to confess. We're free to humble ourselves, to repent to God, to hear these Old Testament commands to turn because God wants to bless us. It also means that we're free to forgive. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, 
Like they, they watch him pray. They're Jews. Their whole culture is about praying. And they're like, oh, something's different about this guy. Can you teach us how to pray? And then he gives them a framework for praying. And at the end of that, he says, because you've been forgiven, so you must forgive. So like after the whole prayer thing, like your relationship with God, he says that has implications for the way you live with one another. Because you've been forgiven, you must forgive. So if you're having trouble forgiving, spend some time reflecting on what Christ has forgiven you of. Maybe you need to let the Holy Spirit humble you to believe that you have something to be forgiven of. And the third thing is that Jesus offers us his Holy Spirit. So we've worked through the life of Jesus offers us compassion, the death of Jesus offers us forgiveness, and the resurrection of Jesus offers us his Holy Spirit. The sealed permanence of the covenant fulfilled. The covenant can never be broken now, but I still sin. I know, but if you trust in the life and death of Christ, then you're in the resurrection. You're just there always. And the covenant can't be broken again. But I, but I still sin. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? God's mercy goes past that. So we repent. We say, no, 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 that's not, that's not life-giving. That's life-taking. And we turn and say, Jesus, sorry, you've forgiven me. Lead me to live in that forgiveness. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the tangible and irrevocable union of God and humanity. Heaven and earth meet in the indwelling of the Spirit in the people of Jesus, in the body of Christ. So what I said to you at the very beginning of all this, I've said so many things since then. I'm, I don't blame you if you don't remember. That the Spirit is at work within you. You know what that means. The kingdom of heaven is here. He's here. Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit at work in you is propagating good in your life in the people of San Angelo. Thank you, Jesus, for offering us your Holy Spirit. Did you do anything to get that? Good answer. Every spiritual blessing. We still wait, though. Right? We still wait for the fullness of the resurrection. We still wait for that, that moment when we see Christ come back in the way that we saw him leave way the disciples saw him leave. We wait for that moment because he's promised to make us into a new creation. He's promised that sin will be no more, death will be no more. Not that he'll just erase our sorrows, but that he'll heal them. Now, as we move into our fifth point, communion, um, band, I want to invite you guys back up. I want to I make clear that communion is the tangible expression of this heavenly, spiritual, and earthly union. 
It's the, the tangible expression of God persevering beyond our sin and offering us forgiveness and mercy in Jesus. Now, communion is specifically for those who um, receive the gift of Jesus' forgiveness. It's for those of us who um, say, yes, Jesus died on my behalf, and now I will never die. Communion is a meal prepared for the Christian family. So if there's anyone in this room, if you have not received this free gift, there's nothing you have to do other than just say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. And if you make that choice this morning, you are welcome at the table to come take communion. But what I want to ask is is that if that is not where you're at, please stay in your chair and just consider the message of Micah 1 and 2. That our sins are many, but God's mercy is more. And church, if your hope and trust is in Jesus' death to forgive you of your sin, then we take the bread and we take the cup, the body and blood of Jesus. We proclaim his death until he comes back. Please join me at the table.